0: In the dark, get it? Get it. Thanks. Um, we could go old school here if we need to. Second Corinthians 5. Uh, for those of you who are new to Fullness or uh, just coming in, maybe guests today, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. For those of you who are regular attenders at Fullness, uh, I'd like to. Rem- uh, I went on sabbatic in June and July, and again, I'm so grateful for. Um, all that you allowed for me to hear from God and to to kind of um, get restored. I'm so grateful for what you allowed in my life. And so what I decided to do was preach a series of sermons based based on thoughts that happened to me, what God did in my life during those two months away. So, I've tried to point out to you, and hopefully you'll uh, get it. You're probably going to have to change the slides for me, Mona. Um, I'm still not connected here. So, <clears throat> these are things God to- told me. He spoke to me about. And I'm just sharing them with you, saying, hey, if this blesses you, I mean, it's good theology. It's not like... It's not bad stuff, but it's just stuff that God did in my life. And so if it speaks to you, praise God. And I pray that it does. So the the general idea is there's like one real thought in the sermon. This is a one-point sermon. When my brother was in preaching class one time, uh, W.A. Criswell, the famous pastor from First Baptist Dallas, came over to teach his preaching class. And um, some wise young man said to Dr. Criswell, um, how many points should a good sermon have? And Dr. Criswell, in his wisdom, said, at least one. <laughs> and uh, so that's kind of where I am. I've got a uh, one-point sermon, and hopefully it'll, it'll, it'll bless you. I may be able to do this, but um, I may not. So it says in 2 uh, uh, Corinthians this. Uh, next slide, if you would help me, Mona. Um, It says this, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness. Hello, anybody here content with weakness? Anybody loving the weaknesses of their life? Everybody just like, oh, I'm so at peace with, you know, this weakness in my life. No, generally we're not. We're trying to overcome them. But Paul has been praying that this weakness would be removed. And God said, no, I'm not going to remove it. Instead, I'm going to place my power in you so that you know that it's my power. Because your weakness is still right there. Whatever it is, we don't even know. And I'm, I'm kind of glad he didn't name it, honestly. Because if he had, we, we're so bad that we would be saying, well, hey, you know, I'm, not, I'm better than Paul. At least I didn't have that weakness. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I think there's incredible power in confessing our weakness, not because it makes us better, but because it allows the power of God to flow into us and through us. We live in an age, in a society, nobody wants to confess their weakness. Take it for what it's worth. When was the last time you heard almost anybody publicly say, you know what? I'm really weak. I was wrong about that issue. I was wrong about this. I was wrong about that. No, you can't confess your wrongness because you'll be canceled out. But in the kingdom mindset, the kingdom power, God's power is perfected in your weakness. We need to really receive this um, truth today about what God is doing in our lives and how we can be strong. Here's what I want to talk to you about. I, I want to talk to you about what's called reconciliation uh, and righteousness. Now, these, these terms get all thrown around in the Bible, and not just the Bible, but really in church life. And you may say, wow, I don't know how this is going to, whatever your one truth is, I don't know whatever, how this reconciliation, righteousness, it sounds so basic and the words so theological. Just hang with me. I think you'll, you'll get it. I'll try and explain it just a little bit. But honestly, if we all got a hold of this, what I'm about to, this one truth I'm going to share with you a little later, it, it's life changing. It is life-changing, and it'll change the way you pray. It'll change the way you live. It'll change the way that you receive that weakness in your life so that God's power can be perfected. So I'm looking at mainly 2 Corinthians 5, if you're wondering, 5, 18, and following. About three or four verses from there that I think will become pretty clear. He's been talking about theological stuff. And what God has done in our lives. And he says this. All of this is from God. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Not counting people's sins against them. Here's the idea. When Adam sinned. And you're like, oh my Lord, he's going back to Genesis. That means we're gonna be here all day. Eh, Where you gotta go? (laughs) When Adam sinned, he didn't just screw up. He didn't make a mistake. He didn't stumble. He rebelled. it's, it's, It's the way it's pictured. Eve comes to Adam, offers him the fruit. I think Adam looks at Eve and says, Hey, she did it, and look, she's fine. She took the fruit, and nothing happened to her. I'm going to take it. But as soon as he did, the gap of sin and rebellion opened between God and man. Man no longer had fellowship with God. Next thing you know, we're wearing fig leaves and walking around a garden and trying to hide. And God is, Adam, where are you? Why? Because fellowship had been Broken because of sin. And this gap between God and man continued because the first Adam sin, sin entered the world, and relationship with God the Father was broken. A holy, righteous God, and I know this is Christianity 101, but listen to it again sin broke the relationship with God. And so we needed. Something, which someone, to bridge the gap of relationship back to God so that our sins could be taken care of. This is what is called reconciliation, reconciling man to God. Now, here's the thing. Reconciliation has to do with change. You can't reconcile unless something changes or someone changes. I mean... People don't get reconciled without coming together and talking about what it is that broke them. And then they probably both have to make some adjustments in their attitude and in their lives in order that that reconciliation can occur. Here's the issue. Our relationship with God is broken. If someone needs to change, it's not God, right? I mean, God is perfect. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So where's the broken part? Well, it's me. So we need someone, something, because our sins stand forever against us. But God has this reconciliation through Jesus where our sins are no longer going to count against us. In Romans, it says this, for if while we were God's enemies, well that is so strong, isn't it? It makes it sound like we're enemies with God. Not like we're like, you know, like something's broken, but like enemies. Well, that's exactly the picture the Bible gives. We were enemies because of sin. It's not like the it's not like the relate it's not like a frenemy kind of thing. I mean we were like totally and completely broken in this relationship but while we were God's enemies we were reconciled to him how through the death of his son how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life not only is this so but we will also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. We've been reconciled how? The power of reconciliation is that we who were sinners have been made such that we can be in a relationship with God. The power that it took to do that is more than we can imagine. That's kind of the lead point going into this. But let's look at the process by which it happened. I'm back in 2 Corinthians 5. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. This is kind of jumping ahead in the theological circle kind of thing a little bit. But I wanted to throw it in there because I want you to see that God's plan is to reconcile the world to himself through the blood of Jesus, but he's using you. And his plan is me and you. We are his ambassadors. We're the ones who are sharing this message of reconciliation. That's why I believe it's such a big deal. Wouldn't it be good to know what we're supposed to be doing? Wouldn't it be nice To say, I'm a Christ follower, now what do I do? Well, you're his ambassador. He's making his appeal to the world through you. Oh, great, he's working through me. Well, what's the appeal? What am I supposed to be saying? Well, he's reconciling the world to himself. Great, what does that mean? Well, this is what it means. He means that relationship with God was broken through sin because the power of the cross and the blood of Jesus Man can come into a relationship with God. At its core, that is what Christianity is about. Unfortunately, over the millennia, we have made Christianity about a lot of other things. I I hesitate to even mention an issue. Because we'll get all worked up emotionally about it. If we ever get away from this, we've lost it. He didn't say, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to reconcile you. Now, I want you to go and make the world follow all these rules. I want you to live. I want you to tell them, here's how they have to live. Here's, I want you to go tell them who they have to vote for. I want, to t- I want you to tell them who they, this is what I'm giving you is the message. No, this is what our message is. You are apart from God, but because of what Jesus did on the cross and has forgiven you, you can now come back into re- right relationship with God. That is our mission. That is solely our mission. Everything else is peripheral. Is it important? Sure. It's important, but if we get away from this core of he has given to us as his ambassadors the message of reconciliation, we lose the truth that Christianity is about a relationship with God, our creator, through his son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and now we get to proclaim that to the world. That's the process. And by the way, that's not really even the point of this second point. But it's good. <laughs> I just wanted to give it to you. He says to you, we implore you on Christ's behalf. This is a plea from Paul. Be reconciled to God. That's the plea. Be reconciled to God. Everything else we can work out. If this doesn't happen, everything else we talk about doesn't really matter. I implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And here's how. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Oh, my word, this verse is so... I I get chill. You know, when I really sit down and look at it, it breaks me. Here's the process of reconciliation. It's first that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Now, who's it talking about here, obviously? It's talking about Jesus. Somebody explain to me how Jesus became sin. Please don't. Because for 2,000 years, the church has argued over this. How could he who had no sin become sin for us? When did he become sin for us? And when was that sin? How was it given to Jesus? Do you know, theologians have spent tons of time and pages and words arguing over this. At some point on the cross, Jesus went to the cross sinless and God placed the sins of all mankind, past, present, future on him at that moment. How that happened and then God turned his face away Because Jesus had become sin. What that exactly looked like, there's a mystery to it that I can't possibly explain. But I can explain this. He became sin for me. He who knew no sin became sin. This is the process of reconciliation. Christ, the perfect, spotless Lamb of God, on the cross became sin. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, "Cursed is everyone who is hung on the tree." On that moment, when he was hung on the tree, the cross, he became sin for us. Your sins, my here's the truth of Christianity, and there's no other way for my sins to be taken care of. None. I can't. I can't work my way out of sinfulness. Why? Because everything in me is corrupted by that sin. So even my working my way out of sinfulness, I carry sin with me. And everything, everything I touch turns to darkness because of the sin in me. Only because Jesus could go to the cross as a sinless perfection, And be cursed on the tree, am I now able to become the righteousness of God? You are the righteousness of God. My sins have been forgiven. Here's, I'm giving, I'm about to give you the truth that God really, I think, poured into me. And this is, people, you're gonna say, wow, that's my pastor. That seems so obvious. Don't you think he should have known this for a long, long time? Yeah, it's one thing to know it. It's another thing for it to just know you and for it to like engulf your heart at a specific moment. So just hang with me for one second, because he says, but if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. Keep reading. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. So I'm going to say this passionately. Most of my Christian life, when I see I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, I think this, my sins are forgiven. Right? Do you, not you? When I, when I hear that, I think, look, I was... I was broken, sinful, dark. Jesus became sin for me so that my sins are forgiven. Which is, by the way, great news. Not just okay or just, it's great. That's why the gospel is good news. It's great news. My sins are forgiven. So something negative has been removed. My sins have been forgiven. Here's the truth that just pounded me. Not only has something been removed, but something has been imparted. Something has been placed within me. Most of us see ourselves as worthless sinners, worms, we use that term, whose sins have been forgiven. No, I am the righteousness of God. His spirit has been placed within me. And this truth, it just, it hit me so hard again to say, wow, I am. Here's how John Owen said it. And again, this is partly this line from this book that made this hit me so much. He said this, he makes us not only accepted, but also acceptable. He does not only purchase love for his saints, but also makes them lovely. He does not only justify his saints from the guilt of sin, but does also sanctify and wash them from the filth of sin. Here's the way I rewrote it in my journal. This, you are not just a pitiful, forgiven sinner. You are a beloved child of God. If You and I will see this truth in our lives, it will change the way we perceive even the weakness within us. And we can say, His power is perfected in my weakness because I'm a beloved child of God. I won't look back at the things that were done to me by others and just emotionally hang on to those for the rest of my life, thinking, How could this have happened? Instead, I'll say, I'm forgiven. I can step forward. I am lovely. Go ahead. I am beautiful because I am a child of God. I thought of so many counseling sessions that I've sat with people and tried to help them process through various things. And if I could have just gotten this truth inside of them and me, it would have changed everything about the dynamic of the room. But most of us, the most we ever see ourselves in our Christian life is that we're pitiful, forgiven sinners. By the way, again, that's good that I'm forgiven. But more importantly, that something negative has been removed, but something positive has been imparted. And I am a beloved child, child of God. Let me get moving here. The purpose of reconciliation, which I think I wrote a devotion the next day based on this, all these thoughts. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's, what are we? Do you ever get that? I mean, think about it. You're God's co-workers. He's adopted you into his family. This is is father and son and sons and daughters. That's the business we're in. We're in the family business. With God our father, Jesus our older brother, it's like God and sons and daughters. I like that. You're not as excited as I was about it, but I I like it. As God's co-workers, (laughs) we urge you to receive God's grace not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Oh, this is so exciting to say, I heard you. You needed help, I heard you. Why? Because we're co-workers. I've imparted my presence and my spirit within you. Now, here are... I'm, I'm I, I know this is, <laughs> I do this all the time. I've got three points with three subpoints, so that makes it really a six point <laughs> sermon. But I'm gonna go through these quicker. Here's, here's things that come from this. Here's things that happen. First, first is this, help. I receive help. That's kind of the Beatles version right there for those old school people. In the same way, the spirit helps us in our what? Back to weakness again. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We've been reconciled to God. Reconciliation is making our relationship right with God. It's it's making right what was wrong. It's fixing the relationship. As a result, our sins are forgiven, negative removed, positive added, his righteousness. In that, we receive the presence of God himself in the person of the Holy Spirit to help us in our... You're not alone. I I don't care if you live alone. I don't care if you dine alone. You still, it's you and God. The Spirit of God indwells you, and He will give you help in your time of need, which is basically all the time. He'll help you in your weakness, which is, again, basically all the time. You have weakness, the Spirit of God. And this is an obvious question, but I'll ask it anyway. If you had to depend on yourself and your weakness or God, the creator, almighty, where would you rather turn? Some of us are so stupid. (laughs) We think, God, I've got this. No, you don't. You don't got it. No matter how strong you think you are, no matter how smart you think you are, well-educated, financially equipped, you don't got it. He has it. If we lean into him, if we depend on him every moment of every day, the power of his presence is there. This is the purpose of reconciliation. Not just that we have a loving father who we're in relationship with, but our loving father has placed his presence in us to empower us to live this life every moment of every day. Now, some of you may be like, oh, man, he's getting so mystical. He's, you know, this whole... Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Is it like elementary mysticism 101? The presence of God lives in me. How does that happen? I don't know. I don't know. But the person of God, in faith I receive that the person of the Holy Spirit indwells me and empowers me. I could spend a lot of time trying to explain it, but there's probably going to be about 80% of what I say that's right. Let's give me that credit but at least 20% wrong. And I don't know which is right and wrong, or I wouldn't have said it. Anyway, what else does he give me? He gives me a path. He gives me a path to walk. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The path that we have that gets us from where we are into God the Father's presence, it goes through Jesus. As I heard a pastor say, somebody was asking him one time, aren't there many ways to God? (coughs) Excuse me. Aren't there many ways to God? And he said, there's many ways to Jesus, but there's only one way to God. That's what we believe. The path to God is Jesus. In Hebrews, it says this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, how? By the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. By the way, I think communion is all written in this. You know, that Jesus said, remember my death until I return. That there's a confession when we come to the table, which we're going to do in a little bit, that says, hey, I get to go in the presence of God by the path that is Jesus because of his blood that was shed for me and his body which was the curtain, which is torn in two, now I can enter into the presence of God. Again, very mystical, very hard to kind of at times get our heads around, but when we come to the table, this is this is a confession of what Christ has done for us and that we get to come into his presence. Without this help and without this, this path, we have no hope of Continuing the message that he's called us to do. And then finally, we get boldness. Again, let me confess my too often idea about boldness. It's this. I'm a pitiful sinner forgiven. So I have some requests to give to God. But he doesn't want to hear these pitiful sinner requests. So I'm like number 1,200,000 in line but I can boldly give him my request. Do you know, it's, that is not really the picture here. The picture is not like, God, you, God doesn't want to hear my request, so I can boldly just launch him out there. Instead, here's the picture. Without boldness, I would never be able to even stay in God's presence. There's Let me illustrate a couple pictures. One of these stories I've told several times, but I still think it's hysterical, so you're going to have to hear it again. I remember when I was young, there's this picture, and Dave and I were talking about this running yesterday, of JFK with JFK Jr. under his desk. You know, we hadn't had... This is early in my life. This is before me even, really. But I know my parents talking about how there hadn't been many children, so to speak, in the White House, and pictures... If you had tried to go and hang out in this desk, you'd be dead, right? But the son can, the child can, why? Because he's in relationship with the father. He's not scared about being here because he can. In my life, um, you know, I, I had my office and when my kids were at home, they were in high school and college, they would come up to my office and say, hey dad, can I use your office? I need to study. Or dad, can I go on your computer because I have two screens. They like to, you know, work it versus the pitiful one screen I would give them in a laptop. Anyway, and so they come up to my computer. And so like one day, both my son and my daughter, my oldest son and one of my daughters, I think she was in high school, he was in college, came to my office to do some work. So I came back. This is the same day. And on my whiteboard, my daughter had written this on the whiteboard after she'd used my computer. I'm like, isn't that so sweet? You know, and I had it open and she'd written, I love you. A couple hours later, my son comes in. He wants to use my office. I come back and there's this note taped to my computer. Now, this is the difference between the way boys and girls communicate, first of all. My son is never going to say, oh, I love you, Dad, flowers. Instead, he says, loser. And not only that, look at what he puts in the parentheses. Thanks for the H2O. He stole my water. <laughs> he used my computer, stole my water, and called me a loser all in the same day. <clears throat> not many people... Can just waltz into my office and use my office. My children can. And I know that they're leaving me notes. Let's just, just go with me on this, that they're telling me they love me. <laughs> that we still have we have a relationship is what is key. It says in Hebrews, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Here's the the, the aspect. That I want you to see in this. If you go into the presence of God, you're gonna have one of them Isaiah moments. You know, when Isaiah got in the presence of God, Isaiah 6, woe is me. I am unclean and I'm a man of unclean lips. Without boldness, you cannot stay in God's presence. And God knows it. So this is incredible. God gifts you with boldness so that you'll come into his presence. I mean, think about that. This is all part of righteousness and reconciliation. Bart, you need help. I'm going to put my spirit in you. Bart, you need a path to get to me. I'm making it through the blood of Jesus and the body of Jesus. Bart, you need boldness. I'm going to give you boldness to stay in my presence. I am not just a pitiful, poor, forgiven sinner. You and I, if we know Jesus, we are beloved children of God. I pray today that truth will seep into you and become part of you like over the last two months it's tried to become a part of me. To change the way I perceive life, And people because if I'm a child I want people to also become beloved children of God he's given me this message to tell you be reconciled to God and we share that message with the world around us when we come to this table in just a moment we are declaring Christ's death until he returns we're saying the blood and the body have made a way for me to come into God's presence If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we invite you to come to the table. If if you know Jesus, we invite you to come because this is a declaration that you're a follower of his. And so we want you to partake of it and to confess, thank you, Lord. Give Give me help, Spirit of God. Thank you for the path that you provided. Now, Lord, may I come boldly before your presence to ask for help in my time of need. Lord, we pray this morning that we would indeed walk in the truth that when we're weak, you're strong, that your power is perfected in our weakness, that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord. May all the truths in those simple but profound verses alter the way we live our life every moment of every day. I pray if there's anyone here who doesn't know Jesus as the one who leads their life and forgives their sins, the Spirit of God, you would draw them to the name of Jesus so that they would walk in a loving relationship with Father God. Lord, I pray today that as we come to this table, that Spirit of God, your presence would be so manifest in this place that When people need healing, they'd be healed. If they need direction, you'd speak to them about the path ahead. If they need freedom, that burdens would be lifted, habits would be broken, our minds would be changed. Come, Spirit of God, and work within us as we worship in these moments ahead. We thank you, Lord.